Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about some rules and some cool stuff. First, what's the deal with people thinking you can't use the word over to mean more than? And second, we'll debate whether a hamburger qualifies as a sandwich, because there's a little bit of a linguistics tie-in. I recently got a listener question about a topic I haven't covered in a while. Here's Andrea. Hi, Mignon. My name is Andrea. About 20 years ago, my husband Brian and I were working as reporters at a local newspaper. For the style guide, they were very specific when talking about an amount of money, such as more than or less than a million dollars. We were not allowed to use the words over or under because they signified a position a physical position in space, like over or under a bridge. Recently, I've noticed that a lot of news outlets and television shows are using the over a million and under a million. And I was just wondering if this was something specific to the newspaper we were working at or if it's a change in style overall. Thanks, Mignon. Love the podcast. Bye. Thanks, Andrea. You are not imagining it, and news outlets haven't gotten more sloppy. There was a change in Associated Press style. If you're the type of person who pays super close attention to the AP Stylebook updates every year, one of the most attention-grabbing changes in 2014 was to the entry on More Than and Over. Before 2014, AP writers followed the style you learned at your local paper. Never use over or under to talk about numbers. You were supposed to use more than or less than. But in 2014, the AP Stylebook changed to say you can write it either way, that both are acceptable in all uses to indicate a greater or lesser numerical value. For example, AP reporters could write, salaries went up more than $20 a week, or salaries went up over $20 a week. And the stock fell to less than $40 per share, or the stock fell to under $40 per share. Both are fine now. I was lucky enough to be in the room when two of the editors of the AP Stylebook, David Minthorn and Daryl Christian, announced the changes at ACES, the Society for Copy Editing annual meeting. There was some mild rumbling, but the real ruckus happened on Twitter. Before the talk was even over, Matthew Crowley from the Las Vegas Review-Journal announced to the room that somebody had already tweeted, quote, more than my dead body, unquote. Get it? That's a joke because more than can't be substituted for over in over my dead body. Reading comments online, a widely expressed sentiment was that the AP was getting soft, giving up, and caving to the lowest common denominator. But it's not that simple. A day or two after that session, I talked to people at the meeting who didn't think the change was a big deal and who thought the stories that had come out about copy editors freaking out were overdone. People did seem to be freaking out online, but I didn't witness a lot of freakouts among the professional copy editors at the annual meeting. Similarly, after the meeting, copyediting.com had an article calling the change a nod to reality and pointing out that, quote, in a handout for a recent ACES one-day editorial boot camp, more than versus over appeared under the heading not rules at all, 
and the advice was to worry about it only if you've got nothing more pressing to worry about. Mark Allen, who wrote the article and goes by editor Mark on Twitter, tweeted, AP's over versus more than decision acknowledges what most of us were doing anyway. The history of the more than is better than over rule is instructive. The quote-unquote rule against using over in a sense such as over 20 camels marched down the street was popularized in the late 1800s by William Cullen Bryant, an influential New York Evening Post editor. He wrote a list of words to be avoided that he called the Index Expurgatorius. The first entry on the list reads simply, above and over for more than. Other words on the list that he didn't like included jeopardize, located, talented, pants for pantaloons, and retire as an active verb. As an aside, I adore these kinds of lists from old style guides. They're always fascinating. For example, I was surprised to see that Bryant also objected to the phrase on yesterday. I hear complaints about that today, and I had thought it was a relatively new regionalism. But nope, apparently it was annoying people all the way back in the 1800s. Bryant gave no rationale for his dictum. Apparently, he just didn't like above and over for more than. But his preference propagated throughout newspaper style guides and became what the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage calls, quote, a hoary American newspaper tradition, unquote. Hoary originally meant gray or white with age, and can also now mean tiresome or stale. Bryant is often cited as the originator of the rule, but Jan Freeman pointed out on Twitter that there's an earlier source. Walter Burgess wrote a book in 1856 called 500 Mistakes of Daily Occurrence in Speaking, Pronouncing, and Writing the English Language. Mistake number 130 in his book reads, quote, There were not over 20 persons present, say more than. Such a use of this word is not frequent among writers of reputation. It may, however, be less improperly employed, where the sense invests it with more of a semblance to its literal signification, as, This pair of chickens will weigh over seven pounds. Even in this case, it's better to say more than. Unquote. It seems he needs to make up his mind. It's okay, but then it's not okay. I don't know whether Bryant got the rule from Burgess, but either way, there's still no rationale. It's a rule one or two guys made up. Even before the AP style book change, nearly all modern style guides had come out strongly against the quote-unquote rule. Brian Garner called it a baseless crotchet, and the American Heritage Guide to Contemporary Usage and Style said it may be safely ignored. After the announcement, Carol Fisher Soller, editor of the Chicago Manual of Style Q&A section, reminded people that this had been Chicago's style for years. Even the previous editions of the AP Style Book had taken a softened stance on over, saying that more than is preferred with numerals, but not going so far as to say that over is wrong. The oldest edition I have is from 1998, and even going back that far, it says more than is preferred, not that it's required, which surprised me, because like Andrea, who asked the question today, when I worked at college newspapers years ago, I had absorbed the idea that it was a hard and fast rule that you shouldn't use over and under with numbers, not that it was just less preferable. 
That's why it's always good to look things up. Your memories can be wrong. I asked Minthorn and Christian why they made the change, and they said, quote, because it makes sense, unquote. They noted the overwhelming common usage and said, quote, we were swimming against the tide to go the other way. There's no logical, grammatical reason for not using over with numbers. There are contexts where more than might work better, but over is appropriate in the overwhelming majority of cases, unquote. To sum up, Andrea and her husband are noticing a real change. It wasn't just the newspaper they worked for that followed the old recommendations. It was all journalists who followed AP style. But now the AP style book is the same as most other major style books. It's now fine for AP writers to write either more than 50 people attended the rally or over 50 people attended the rally, just as it's been fine for other writers to do so all along. You don't have to use over if you don't like how it sounds, but it's no longer considered less acceptable than more than by the Associated Press. And the same goes for under and less than. This next segment was written by Edwin Battistella. The students in my class were arguing a question of semantics. Is a hamburger a sandwich? One student noted that the menu designer at the restaurant where she worked couldn't decide if a chicken burger should be listed under hamburgers or sandwiches. Another student invoked the USDA's definition of a sandwich as, quote, meat or poultry between two slices of bread, unquote. The discussion in class got surprisingly heated with raised voices and an expletive hurled. People feel strongly about meanings and their burgers. Not long afterward, two friends were arguing a point of usage on Facebook. One asserted that, quote, words have a meaning which facilitates clear communication among participants in a language, or they do not, unquote. The other countered that, quote, words don't have a meaning. Most words communicate many different things, unquote. And she gave the example of the polysemy of the word sandwich. Words do communicate many different things, and their meanings shift over time. The two discussions made me hungry to address the semantics of words like sandwich and hamburger, which turn out to be a particularly good test kitchen in which to explore the evolution of words. Sandwich, of course, is an eponym from the title of the fourth Earl of Sandwich, John Montague, who lived from 1718 to 1792. It refers to, quote, an item of food consisting of two pieces of bread with meat, cheese, or other fillings between them, eaten as a light meal, unquote. It can also mean, quote, something that is constructed like or has the form of a sandwich, unquote, according to the Oxford Living Dictionary. The first definition gets extended a bit in usages like open-faced sandwich, where the filling isn't actually between the bread and in club sandwich, which involves more than two pieces of bread. The second meaning of sandwich gets extended metaphorically in sandwich generation and in the slang expression a knuckle sandwich. Food historians trace the term hamburger to the German immigration of the 19th century. And according to the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America, Delmonico's restaurant in New York offered a Hamburg steak as early as 1834. 
Cookbooks soon featured the beefsteak a la Hamburg and the Salisbury steak pioneered by the Civil War physician James H. Salisbury. Hampered for a time by early 20th century fears of ground meat, think Upton Sinclair in the jungle, hamburgers on a bun became popular as fair food in the early 20th century and took off after 1921, popularized by the Kansas-based White Castle restaurant. The rest is culinary history. And linguistic history as well. The term hamburger steak lost ground to Salisbury steak, which became the more common way of referring to beefcakes with gravy instead of buns. According to H.L. Mencken in the American language, the term Salisbury steak was helped along by the World War I fervor for Americanizing German food words. However, the word hamburger, sometimes without the ER, prevailed as the name of the beef patty in a bun, and as early as 1916, we can find menus listing the hamburger sandwich, which is how White Castle featured it as well. By the 1930s, sandwich was being omitted, and hamburger was no longer an adjective modifying steak or sandwich, but a noun in its own right. What's more, burger was becoming a productive word part. The journal American Speech documented blended neologisms like cheeseburger, chickenburger, and wimpy burger, after the character J. Wellington Wimpy in the Popeye comic strip, as well as the turkey burger and the lamb burger. It seemed that burger could be used with all kinds of food served hamburger-like on a bun. Clam burgers, shrimp burgers, fish burgers. There was even something called a nut burger, described as a nut and meat sandwich. What was blended linguistically with burger could indicate toppings, cheeseburger, egg burger, bacon burger, composition, rabbit burger, moose burger, veal burger, or style, California burger, Texas burger, twin burger. With so many linguistic combinations ending in burger, the clipped version came to be mostly used to refer generically to hamburger-style sandwiches, patties on buns with condiments and garnishes. On menus today, burger is often used as a heading that includes hamburgers and various other burger-like sandwiches as well. One local eatery in my town offers all kinds of burgers, and below that heading lists hamburger, turkey burger, garden burger, sea burger, fresh Oregon snapper filet charbroiled, and a double beef patty super burger. So is a hamburger a sandwich? If a sandwich is two pieces of bread with meat between them, a hamburger qualifies as a sandwich. John Montague would probably have loved them as much as Jay Wellington Wimpy does. But if we think of a hamburger as a round patty of ground beef, typically served on a bun, it becomes less sandwich-like and more of an independent semantic category. A hamburger is like a thumb in that regard. A thumb is both a finger, we have ten of them, and something more. Bon appetit! That segment was written by Edwin L. Battistella, who teaches linguistics and writing at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, where he's served as a dean and as interim provost. He's the author of Do You Make These Mistakes in English? Bad Language, and The Logic of Markedness. 
I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me at the home of my podcast network, quickanddirtytips.com, where you can also find all the other great Quick and Dirty Tips podcast hosts, including the Relationship Doctor, Get It Done Guy, and Nutrition Diva. We also post every weekday to the Grammar Girl LinkedIn company page, which you can find there just by searching for Grammar Girl. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sams. And that's all. Thanks for listening. Oh,